Over the past few weeks, we've been thinking about Jesus being the king. That's been the theme of our mission, hasn't it? King size your Christmas. Jesus is the king. And on Christmas Day, just a few days ago, Alan was thinking about that little baby in a manger, Jesus, who actually grew up to be the king of this world. But what actually does that mean, that Jesus is king of this world? Because look out the window, read a newspaper, look on TV, look at what's happening in the world, and you could be forgiven for thinking, how can Jesus be king if all this is happening? Woody Allen says that it's not that God is evil, but basically he's an underachiever. Is that what Jesus is like as king? An underachiever? Just can't keep up with everything that's happening? Why is the world the way that it is if Jesus really is the king? Now the answer to those kinds of questions comes in what Jesus calls the secret of the kingdom of God And it's the key to understanding the times that we're living in, and it's what we're going to be looking at over the next five weeks, the secret of the kingdom of God. And today we're starting in Matthew 13, and we're starting with the parable of the wheat and the weeds. Uh, Verse 24 is where it starts there. It was already read for us. I'll just read the first couple of verses again. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. Then the wheat sprouted and formed ears, that's heads, and the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? Someone has planted weeds Bad seed in a farmer's good crop. Now, the NIV Bible, which we use most of the time here, calls it weeds. Some other translations, some of the older ones you might be familiar with, call it tares, the parable of the wheat and the tares. Hands up who's heard of that? few people. Other translations say darnel. Is that how I say it? It's not just any old weed. It's not just like the general kind of weed that grow up in your wheat crop. I don't know what it might be, Patterson's Curse or um, wild oats or whatever. Uh, You could ask a farmer. Darnel is a specific kind of a seed that looks like wheat and it grows like wheat and it's very hard to tell it apart from wheat until it forms ears, the heads start to form, and then the darnel doesn't have any grain on it. It's just empty heads. It's a bad wheat. And so did you notice in verse 26, these weeds are not noticed until the ears start to form. That's because you wouldn't notice them. And straight away, as soon as these weeds appear, as soon as it's clear that there's bad seed in among the good, the servants know that they were planted deliberately by an enemy. Because it's Darnell. It's bad wheat. And so the best way to deal with it is to not try and sort out the good from the bad straight away because you might take out some of the good with the bad. But it's to wait till it's fully grown. And verse 28, the servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, First, collect the weeds, the darnel, and tie them in bunches to be burned because there's no grain in them. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Now, uh, this might be good for some farmers among you, hear a bit of a farming story, but have you ever wondered why Jesus here is giving a farming lesson? 
Well, Jesus goes on to explain the meaning of this parable, this story, down in verse 36, where he tells us that these two grains growing together represent two kinds of people in this world. The good seed, verse 38, Jesus says, are like the people in God's kingdom. And the bad seed, like verse 39, Jesus says, are the people who are under the influence of the devil, not following Jesus. Everyone is either one way or the other. And at harvest time, which Jesus says is God's judgment day, those two kinds of people will be separated. Verse 40. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, when Jesus first spoke this parable, um, a bit under 2,000 years ago, it would have been a complete surprise to the people hearing it. Uh, I know that because in verse 35 it says that I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. In other words, this parable has something radically new in it, something unheard of. What is it that's so new in this parable? What is, it, what is the secret, as it's called back in verse 11? What's the surprise? Well, it's not that Jesus says that there'll be a judgment day and that some people will be, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That might be a surprise for some of us. But it was not a new idea in Jesus' day. In fact, the Old Testament is full of warnings about God's judgment. So that's not new in this parable. So what is new? Is it the idea that there'll be some good wheat, some people will be saved? No, that's not a new idea either because that idea also is in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is full of it. What's new in this parable is the idea that after the kingdom of God arrives that there can still be weeds existing. What's new is the idea that after God starts his kingdom, the wheat and the weeds will continue to exist side by side. Now, let me explain. In the Old Testament, uh, 500 years, even 1,000 years before Jesus, God promised a day. He called it the day of the Lord. And on that day, he would come and set things right. He would do away with the evil in this world. And uh, there's lots of passages in the Old Testament that talk about it, but here's one, Isaiah 13, 9. It says, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel, with fury and burning anger, to make the land a desolation, and he will exterminate its sinners from it. Terrible day of God's judgment coming, the day of the Lord. Or Joel 2, 31, another place. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon into blood, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it will come about that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And in fact, when we were looking at Ezekiel a couple of years ago, we heard about the day of the Lord. And when we were just looking at Jeremiah, we heard about the day of the Lord. There's lots of other passages, but the idea is the same. All of history, from the Old Testament point of view, was heading towards a day called the day of the Lord. And on that day, the evil in this world would be ended, done away with, 
purified, burnt up. And on that same day, the day of the Lord, God would bring in his new kingdom, his rule, the new creation. That is what people in Jesus' day were waiting for. The Messiah, the King, who would bring in the new creation, who would bring an end to this present evil age, the day of the Lord. And in Jesus' day, that's what people were waiting for. They were waiting for the day of the Lord. Back in Matthew 3, when Jesus began to preach, what was his message? Repent. The kingdom of God is near. It's just about to happen. In other words, the day of the Lord is about to come. We're about to enter the new age. I'm about to bring it in. But this is the surprise. This is the secret. This is what Jesus wants people to know about in this parable. When the new age comes, the old age, for a little while, will continue on. The two ages will, if you like, overlap. So the kingdom of God, yes, it's here, but the old age will continue on like the wheat and the weeds together until Jesus returns and sorts it out. The first instalment of the day of the Lord has come. The first instalment of God's judgment has come. It was poured out on Jesus when he was crucified. And right there and then, Jesus took in his body on the cross God's judgment for the things that we've done wrong. And if we trust in Jesus, we're part of the new kingdom of God and for us the day of the Lord has been and gone. Jesus died to rescue his people. But Jesus promised that in the future, when he returns, there'll be another day of the Lord, a second instalment of God's judgment, and then everyone who rejects him will be punished and judged. And in the meantime, which is where we live between Jesus' death and resurrection and his return, the invitation is going out for people to join his kingdom. So that was the new idea in this parable. And in fact, it's so new that Jesus repeats it again just to make sure we don't miss it. This time, the characters have changed, but it's really the same parable. It's not the wheat and the weeds now. It's the good fish and the bad fish, but it's the same parable. Let's read it from Matthew thirteen forty-seven. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it back on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad fish away. See, the time we live in is like a mixture of good fish and bad fish, and they're not going to be sorted out until Judgment Day. And then, just to make sure we've kind of linked the two parables, Jesus uses the exact phrase that he used with the wheat and the weeds. Verse 49. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now that's the key to understanding life today in this world between Jesus' death and resurrection and his return. Don't be fooled into thinking that because life is still full of so much evil that Jesus is not king. He's allowing the present evil age to continue. Don't be fooled into thinking that nothing's happening, 
The kingdom of God has arrived. It's here. But the old age is continuing alongside it until Jesus returns. Now, I think that raises some questions, doesn't it? How are we to live in the overlap of these ages? How are we to, how, what are we to do? What are we to value? And sprinkled among this parable of the wheat and the weeds, Jesus has four other parables that explain how we're to live. See, here, firstly, the parable of the mustard seed and the yeast, and then the parable of the treasure and the pearl. And it's not just kind of by accident they're, that they're mixed up in the middle of this other parable. They help us understand how to live in the overlap of the ages. So firstly, let's have a look at the parable of the mustard seed. Verse 31, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. Now, at home, we've been slowly replacing our garden with a native garden and uh, planting all kinds of native plants out the front. And one of my favourite native plants is a grevillea. And uh, there's some really nice grevillea ground covers. A while back, I found at the nursery here in Dubbo some tiny tube stock grevilleas. They're about an inch high. And uh, grevillea robusta, they were called, sounded really good. So I bought about 10 of them and I planted them in a little row right along the side of the garden as a ground cover. Uh, Grevillea robusta. A few weeks later, Paul McLeod came round to our house for Bible study. He reads the tag on the plant and he just falls over laughing because Grevillea robusta is not a ground cover at all. Those little plants that I'd planted this far apart along the side of the garden as a ground cover, they're actually a silky oak tree. They grow 10 or 15 metres high. The trunk's about this wide and I've planted them this far apart, right along the edge of the driveway. That is the point that Jesus is making here about the kingdom of God. It looks so insignificant. It looks so small. It looks like a mustard seed. In amongst this present evil age that we live in, the the message about Jesus, it looks like nothing. It sounds crazy. But don't be fooled by appearances. It's much bigger than it seems. It's growing And the parable of the yeast is the same. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Same with the kingdom of God. The tiniest piece of yeast can transform the whole batch of dough. Imagine how small the kingdom of God must have seemed in Jesus' day. One man sitting by the Sea of Galilee. No swords, no army just talking to a group of people. One man hanging on a cross, dying. All his followers deserted him and running away. You don't get much smaller and unimpressive than that. And yet, don't be fooled. Because Jesus' death was much bigger than it seemed. Because as that one man died, God was bringing in his kingdom. God was bringing forgiveness to the world. And the kingdom of God turns out to be the most valuable thing in the whole of this creation. Look at verse 44, the parable of the hidden treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, 
went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away, sold everything he had and bought it. Now, I was thinking during the week, I can't think of any possession that I own or would want to own that would be worth more than everything I have that I'd want to sell everything for. I mean, I'd like an iPhone, but on a plan it's only $300. I hardly have to sell everything to get it. The Mona Lisa, now that's worth a lot of money. I'd have to sell everything to get it, but, well, I don't really want it. It might be valuable, but I'm not going to give up everything for the Mona Lisa. The treasure in this parable is so good and so valuable that the man who finds it, he has no choice but to sell everything to get his hands on it. That's what it's like with the kingdom of God when you discover it. It is so valuable, it is so desirable, it is so good, it is worth giving up everything else in your life for. There is nothing in this life that is worth more than the kingdom of God. There is nothing in this present evil age that is not worth giving up. There's no pleasure. There's no relationship. There is no job. There is no activity that is not worth giving up for the kingdom of God. If you gave up everything that you had to be a follower of Jesus, then you will have gained Now, I'm sure there's people here today who can testify to that. Maybe you were like that merchant, searching hard to find an answer, like like the man looking for pearls. You were looking for answers to life, and then you discovered it when you discovered Jesus. Or maybe you were just like the guy who was in the paddock and found the treasure by accident. You weren't even looking for Jesus. You just stumbled across it one day when a friend told you about Jesus. I'm not sure, but when you found it, Once you understood that Jesus died to forgive you and wash away your sin, you discovered the most precious thing in the world, knowing God, being part of his kingdom. But I'm sure in a group this size, there'll be people here this morning who haven't yet found the kingdom of God. Maybe you're still searching. Maybe you're not even looking. And you might be here this morning looking in from the outside And you might think it a little bit strange that we sing songs about someone who died on a cross. might look so small, so insignificant. Maybe to you it looks about as big and impressive as a mustard seed. Don't be fooled by appearances. The kingdom of God is not only very valuable, it's very big. And Jesus gives this warning, as the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man, Jesus, will send out his angels. They will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. In other words, listen up. Yes, you might be wondering what this little... Band-aid is on my nose. Yesterday, I was playing cricket with the boys in the nets, and uh, the people in the nets next to me hit a cricket ball that came over their net and hit me on the nose. And just before it hit me, they yelled out, look out, and the ball was coming, but I couldn't see it, 
and it hit me in the nose. It nearly broke it, but it didn't. And uh, it's still a bit sore, but I think it's recovering. Now, the kingdom of God, the day of judgment, it's like that. It's coming right at you. Can you see it? That's what Jesus says in verse 51. Have you understood these things? Do you get it? Have you seen the kingdom of God? This is important. So if you're not yet in the kingdom of God, the most important thing for you to do in this life is to get right with Jesus before his return. That was Jesus' main message. Repent, turn your life around, and believe in me, the kingdom of God is near. It's close, can you see it? But if you're already in the kingdom, then this parable shows us how to live, doesn't it? This parable shows you what to value. This parable shows you what to put your time and energy into. This parable shows what will last and what will pass away. And so when you're talking to people about Jesus, and I don't know about you, but I just have these moments where I think, this just sounds so crazy. That Jesus, a man who lived 2,000 years ago, died and rose again, and he's the king of the world, and if you come and trust him, you can be in the kingdom of God. Sometimes I just find myself talking about it, and I think, how will anyone believe this? But it's actually what people most need to hear. It is the powerful message of the kingdom of God. It takes people from death to life. So when someone's life is full of so many problems and you're there to help them, and there's just so many things they need help with, and you try to tell them about a fellow 2,000 years ago who's going to bring their life meaning, might sound crazy, It's actually what they most need to hear. Or maybe you're trying to talk to someone at work and their life just seems a success. Their family life is perfect. They're good at everything they do. They're loved by everyone. And you're trying to tell them that there's something in their life that's missing, that they need Jesus, that he's actually their king. They've got to turn around and live for him. Sounds crazy. It's actually what they most need to hear. The message of Jesus looks insignificant in this present age, but it turns out to be the most important and most valuable message there is. Because by this gospel, Jesus is inviting people into his kingdom. Hope you see that here this morning. Jesus is the king, and his kingdom has arrived. Do you see it? Are you living for it? He who has ears, let him hear. Let's pray. Father, there are so many things in this present age that are competing for our attention. There are so many things trying to pass themselves off as valuable that we need. But Father, help us to see things as you see things. Help us to see the value of your kingdom greater than anything in this world. Father, help us to see the importance of the message of Jesus. Looks so insignificant, but changes lives. And Father, we pray that if there's people here this morning who are not yet in your kingdom, 
Father, to them, it, understandably, it just looks so insignificant and small. We pray that you might open their eyes to see the value of this great treasure. Father, we pray that you might bring them into your kingdom. And we pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.